There are a number of key ingredients that make classical Christian education work. Most importantly is the role parents play in their children's education during the hours that they are at home. One of the growing forms of classical Christian education are hybrid or collaborative schools that instruct children at school a few days a week and then partner with parents to continue the prescribed teaching at home on the other days. If you're not familiar with this model, you're going to be intrigued as there are many new and growing collaborative schools around the world and quite a number of five-day-a-week schools are now adding this hybrid option. My guest panel today not only gives us some history and overview of the hybrid school movement, but they share best practices in managing home life that ensures continuity between home and school, regardless of which type of school that you're in. Stay tuned for this episode of Basecamp Live. Mountains, we all face them as we seek to influence the next generation. Get equipped to conquer the challenges, summit the peak, and shape exceptionally thoughtful, compassionate, and flourishing human beings. We call it Ancient Future Education for Raising the Next Generation. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Now your host, Davies Owens. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Davies Owens here. I want to say a special welcome on this episode to people who've never listened to Basecamp Live before, because that is a uh, often growing population of people who stumble across us, actually figuring out that we're not an REI uh, climbing gear podcast. Uh, Basecamp Live sounds a bit like that, or a software or something, but we all know if we've been around this for the last five years, it's this amazing analogy, I think it's amazing at least, of what it takes to raise the next generation to what often feels like the top of a Mount Everest. And along the way, we teacher, educator, parents that we all are, uh, come together, sit around the base camp fire, share best practices, encourage one another, and challenge ourselves to continue the climb of raising the next generation. That's what we're all about, and we are glad you're here today. A special thanks to many of our sponsors, in particular Union University, the Focus Group, Alliance Defending Freedom, Excel College, and the Classic Learning Test, CLT. In this particular episode, I am taking on a topic that I'm very excited about. In fact, as I look across the landscape of the many um, uh, ships that are rising, if you will, in the sea of classical Christian education, hybrid or collaborative schools are absolutely um, on the move. And the podcast was actually inspired by one of you, the listeners. In fact, I want to do a shout out to Rebecca Weichel. Uh, Rebecca is a Basecamp Live listener. Email me at infobasecamplive.com. And, and said this, I just want to read a note that she wrote. She says, I've been listening to your podcast for a few years. I enjoy the content as it helps to remind me and to solidify why we are choosing to attend a classical Christian school and give our children the education we wish we had growing up. We all feel that way, Rebecca. As a mom and co-teacher in the thick of it all, juggling the curriculum of three kids, I've often found myself looking for info and help to better manage it. There are a lot of different blogs and podcasts available that focus on homeschool management these have some great ideas. However, they usually don't translate into the unique situation that many classical families um, are experiencing with a collaborative model split between campuses and home day uh, teaching. Their suggestions often focus on things like combining levels when possible and selecting curriculum that allows for group teaching, which of course can't work when our schools of choice have already selected the curriculum that we're using. I'm reaching out to you today in regard to this and ask if you could focus some of your episodes on the experiences of families and professionals in regards to the home management side of education. Well, Rebecca, thanks for your helpful suggestions. And for any of you who are listening, it's always good to hear what's on your mind. So I began to ask who out there is doing this important work of hybrid and collaborative education. And 
my good friend Neil Anderson, who runs the Trinity School there in Houston, said, I've got an idea of a panel you could put together. And I said, that sounds great, Neil. He said, in fact, I think together they have about 36 years of collective wisdom. Um, and then uh, I thought, well, who what, who is this? And he said, well, first of all, it's my wife. I said, well, that's fair um, to give your wife first bidding in that. Marianne uh, Anderson is wife of Neil. She and uh, Neil founded together Trinity Classical a number of years ago. So Marianne has a fantastic perspective of starting a hybrid school uh, being a mom in a, in a hybrid school, and then also wearing hats inside of it like lower school director, pre-K teacher, um, and now her, there are four kids, one is in college. So lots of wisdom Marianne brings. And then Patty um, Henze is on the board at Trinity. She has three kids in all different phases. Um, her husband is the dean of the Honors College there at Houston Christian U- University. So Patty also has a unique perspective of both K-12 and college world and has been a part of that Trinity hybrid community for a number of years as well. And then Gambrel Wagner, who's also on our panel today, is a, also a longtime uh, Trinity classical uh, homeschool uh, parent. Um, she is also uh, involved in teaching there during the, the teaching at school portion of things, teaching logic, and she also has three kids with one off to college. So this is an amazing panel of really wise ladies who have a lot to offer to help us understand hybrid and, and collaborative and also to figure out how do we maximize the experience of having our children at home, even if they're in a full five-day-a-week program. So without further ado, let's jump to this conversation and the panel. Well, welcome to Basecamp Live. Exciting to have on this episode three very talented and capable individuals. Usually, Basecamps are, are one person being interviewed. I love having three people, and these are three really special and important people. My good friend, Neil Anderson, at the uh, Trinity School there in Houston, runs a collaborative hybrid school. And I said, Neil, I really want three people that we can interview and talk about this growing um, movement within within classical Christian education around hybrid and collaborative schools. He said, I know the exact three people I want you to have on the podcast. It's it's Marianne, it's Patty, and Gambrel. And so I want to just say welcome to the three of you. You were apparently on Neil Anderson's top three list. So well done. It's good to have you. Let's just jump right in. I know folks kind of want to hear your story. We got a lot of ground to cover, but Patty, why don't you start out just a little bit of kind of who you are, your your a little bit of your background, and how did you find this classical Christian world that we're now in? I have three kids who are now 13, 15, and 17. And nine years ago, we were we were homeschooling, which is kind of a generous term for what we were doing. It was really more unschooling. Uh, I had read just enough Charlotte Mason to be dangerous. And my goal for the day was playing outside for seven hours or more and reading good books. That was pretty much my education goals in a nutshell. And it was going pretty well. My oldest was nine, but we had gotten to the point where Math was really difficult for me. And so like about once a quarter, we would be outside and I would pick up a dandelion and blow on it and then have everyone estimate how many seeds were wafting to the ground. And that would be my my math box that I would check off. So we were just, uh, we had gotten a little bit feral in our, our methodology, like just this side of Mowgli is how I think about it. Like they were just this jungle book children. And so we had some friends who who were going to Trinity Classical School in Houston, which was new at the time. I think it was in its third year. It was a collaborative classical Christian school. 
I knew that all three of those things were appealing to me. I needed a little bit more structure. I, uh, I was frankly a little lonely and kind of exhausted with making all the curriculum choices that I was making on my own. So we were just drawn to uh, all three aspects of it. We were, I was new to classical education. My husband teaches at a university that prioritizes the classical model, but for me, it was kind of new. I had done a little bit of research, uh, but that's how we got involved. And we're on our ninth year. Wow. I have an eighth grader, a ninth grader and an 11th grader. And we have just really seen the fruit of this model. It has allowed us to stay somewhat feral. Marianne and Gamble will attest to the fact that uh, we we really do kind of fit that definition. Um, but it it also gives us some, um, some really yeah. beautiful uh, fencing to help us, it helped me to guide our, our schooling and our that's, sort of our motive for vir raising virtuous human beings. That's fantastic. I've never heard the term feral education, but I think I'm going to start using it. I really like that. I'm thinking of a cat, but that's okay. So yeah. Marian, yeah, Marian, love to hear your story. I know you and Neil had a very unique role in at Trinity Classical yeah. being founder status. So tell us kind of that journey for you. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you quickly mentioned that I'm married to Neil. Yes. Who made the choices on this, on this panel, full disclosure. Yes. Um, it was a little biased, yeah. but that's okay. <laughs> a little biased. So, um, but yeah, we, our, our story is uh, similar to the Hensies, maybe a little bit younger um, as far as how old our kids were at the time, but we um, decided to kind of, in, in our own family, we were enjoying so much having littles and having them at home and felt like we had poured in so much with discipling them at an early age and uh, building into them certain habits and um, certain loves for reading and you know things like that and then it just felt so strange to at one point be like letting them go for you know the entire week so that's you know it's easy in hindsight now to sort of see the ways that the lord nudged us in our story to land us where we landed uh but a lot of it was a deep desire and conviction to participate in our kids education and seeing, uh, I had seen just enough of like the aha moments and teaching them something to really be like, I love this. I love seeing them uh, grow and learn. Uh, but the similar to the Hensies part is that I just had kindergarten with my oldest. And uh, when she was in kindergarten, I had the three boys um, sitting at the table as well or crawling all over me or dumping buckets of toys everywhere uh enough to know that i needed help <laughs> but i it, i did not have the expertise to pull it off especially um in math and science so uh we would i would occasionally we knew about this model of homeschooling from neil's cousins who had um attended a hybrid model school in austin so occasionally i would just google university model school houston and nothing would come up and nothing would come up and then the summer before nelly's first grade um, TCS popped up and we enrolled her uh, the first year of TCS in first yeah. grade. So uh, she is now a sophomore at the University of Texas. And wow. then we have uh, the three boys who senior, yeah. junior and freshman. Well, it's great so to be on the other side. A of short version. Well, no, I'm sure there's a lot more to it and you really get to see the fruit of it. And, and again, we'll get into in just a moment, this very distinct I think a lot of times we think of it as either or. It's either homeschool or full five-day week. So you all are articulating, hey, I wanted to have more investment in the life of my children, but I'm not sure I want to do it on my own. So, Gamble, go ahead. I want to hear your story. <laughs> yeah, I think 
babies. I'm so glad to be here. My story is a little different, partly because I, I'm not a Texan. I come from the East Coast where the homeschooling, it wasn't as big a thing. I guess I never really encountered it as, as I was growing up. I was a teacher in public schools. I did Teach for America and I always knew that I loved teaching. And when I pulled out of the career path and started having our children, I found, you know, loved teaching them, of course, all the things that one teaches small children. Um, but, you know, we were just doing the regular school thing and then rolled our eldest daughter in um, the local public school for kindergarten. And while it wasn't really, you know, she enjoyed the year, um, she was already reading when she went into it, because of course we'd been doing a lot at home and she was fairly far ahead of her peers and wasn't getting much in, you know, in the way of attention and challenge at school. Meanwhile, our family schedule was kind of nuts. You know, we had two younger siblings um, behind her and all the extracurriculars and just the five days getting up and out every single day and wanting to have time as a family and it wasn't happening and it just felt exhausting. And I also knew that I wasn't gonna be really happy with a lot of the public school systems testing programs and all of that. So I kind of already viewed this as temporary with no clear idea what else we would do. But as always, Lord, you know, he comes in and he um, revealed to me this amazing school. There was an article in the newspaper about Trinity Classical School and I was intrigued. This was during their first year. Um, and so we went to the info session thinking, oh, this will be you know, something during you know, a second, third grade when the testing begins. And we walked out of there. Where do we sign up? Like, this wow. is this is exactly what we are looking for. And it's, you know, in the course of things, I had gone with a friend to a homeschooling convention here at the Southeast Texas Homeschooling Association. Um, they had their big event at one of the universities and three gymnasiums full of curriculum. And I found myself overwhelmed with mm -hmm. how do you pick? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, it, so it, I, I, yeah. Yeah. Well, like it, home, I can't imagine. <laughs> I, I knew it wasn't for me. I couldn't, I'm kind of a perfectionist and I would worry sure. that I had picked. So this was such a beautiful opportunity to get a strong education, which I didn't even realize how strong, and have just a better lifestyle and time with kids. So. Yeah, well, and, that, and I think that's getting to the heart of it. And maybe just for, I always want to make sure everybody's that's listening. This may be a completely new idea. So they're thinking, okay, so they're not. It's not homeschool. It's not five day a week. So can one of you just kind of real simply describe? I mean, what? How much are they at home and how much are they at school? What does that actually look like? Yeah, sure. go ahead. Um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, so TCS may, may be a little bit unique in this because there, there's university model and there's hybrid model schools, you know, across the nation that kind of choose to uh, schedule their days differently. But for us, um, we are on campus on Mondays and Wednesdays and at home on Tuesdays, Thursdays and Fridays. Okay. Um, the upper school will occasionally have a lab day. Um, once a quarter on a Friday. Yeah. And, uh, but other than that, it's two days on campus and three at home. And does a school. And uh, in the lower grades. Yeah, go ahead, Gamble. Yeah. And in the lower grades, I think through fourth grade, um, mm -hmm. they really only have school assignments on Monday through Thursday. Um, the fifth day of school work doesn't hit until fifth grade and wow. up. And so those Fridays are, are available for field trips and family activities and for going deeper with your small children. Um, but all of the curriculum for the whole week, week by week, is planned by the teacher who teaches the campus day. 
Okay. Yeah. I think Charlotte Mason would smile down. That sounds like a good balance. There. <laughs> and for, and from kind of a school administrator perspective, then, uh, man, does that mean that there's a second group that's on campus? So you the campus would look like you have people there all, all five days of the week. Is there a rotation like that or is it okay? It's completely empty on those other days. So no, we, okay. Yeah. Yeah. We do not, we do not have a Tuesday, Thursday okay. equivalent, okay. Yeah. you know, so <clears throat> that uh, makes sense. Yeah. So some people do, I know that that's some people do, done, but, right. Um, our, yeah. And in our listener bases, you know, we have both parents. We also have school administrator folks. And again, I think it's such a great model because it gives you, especially if you've got part-time teachers, a place for them to, you know, have some mm-hmm. flexibility on the other program. So let's stay on, on topic here because you've told your stories. I, I you know, the, the this was at the beginning. Did, did you see the fruit? Did it work out the way you'd hoped? Anybody want to jump on that? Patty? Yeah. Yes. Is the, is the easy answer. Yes. I believe that it, it, it allowed us to maintain the pace of life that we were accustomed to, which was a slow one. And those two campus days were, were just enough guidance, curricular guidance, academic guidance, um, just enough social interaction for the kids so that some of their you know, rougher edges were, were sandpapered down just a little bit. It gave me a little bit of breathing space where I had some, I'm a committed introvert. And so having those, um, 14 hours a week of quiet to myself was very valuable. It was just enough to miss them a little bit and then be happy (laughs) to have them on home at home with me on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. And so, Yes. I mean, in the early years, when we jumped in, I had a kindergarten first and third grader. And those years were just continued to be really sweet and rich and just felt like an enhancement of my kind of underlying goals for for what education ought to look like. So and as I've gotten older and more independent, it's it's been richer in other ways. It's not perfect. I mean, you know, we've had really great years and we've had really hard years, those middle school years when you've still got some kids that are pretty dependent. And then you've got some kids that think they're independent, but really aren't. It's definitely, there's, there's some rough, there's some rough transition there, but a couple of years ago, we really, I feel like hit just this golden era of how this model just works beautifully mm. it's just felt, felt very valuable and rich that's encouraging marianne or yeah Gamble, what do you i would say that there's you know all along i feel like there's um i was aware of like the real-time fruit right of just things that were happening in our home or in our kids lives that um i felt were specifically tied to the the educational choices that we were making right whether um it'd be academic or character issues or just being present with our kids um, was just joy for us, you know, Uh, but now that we're in the phase of life of letting our kids go and having one in college and seeing, I mean, I just have this funny memory of the, the first college acceptance that came in the mail for our oldest. I remember just being like, Oh my gosh, it worked. (laughs) You know, like I was completely, completely convinced, but was this moment of just like relief of like our kids you know because they they do things so differently you know they're they're they don't fit in five day a week models they don't fit in home with homeschool you know there, there's a lot of yeah. sort of living tension that they you know us as parents are like gung-ho about but for them 
you know, it's, it's a, it's something that they have to figure out as they grow in this system as well. So, um, there's definitely been sweet moments of, of the other side of seeing sort of the end of the journey and understanding, uh, in a different way, what, what it has been all about right. you know, the, the years that were the sort of the golden years and they're at home and you're just like baking and playing outside and you know and then now the teenage years when you're like where are my kids i need to check and see where you know right so well it's it's wonderful it's to be able to see the fruit of a good decision because i think that's the the weight you see that on an open house where you've got these prospective families with very young you know, young children thinking about kindergarten and it's, this is a massive decision. And to be able to be on the other side of it and say, yep, I didn't, I'm not regretting anything. That was a good decision. So let me ask before we go to the break, kind of staying in this vein of it, you know, it's working. It, I assume, you know, I look at it as just someone broadly involved in classical Christian education, primarily in five day, although school here in Boise, I've been a part of launched the bridge program, which was another podcast we did where we talked about just the birthing of, of a hybrid school and why that was so important. As you look at the rise of collaborative schools, and it seems like certainly COVID lit a fire under a lot of people to say, wow, I've actually enjoyed having my children home and or wow, look and see what they're actually learning in school. Maybe we need to do things differently. So why do you think collaborative schools are on the rise? Because it certainly seems like they are. Gambrel, um, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you that I think the whole virtual learning experience experiment that our country <laughs> engaged in the world did, I mean, has opened a lot of eyes and has also kind of welcomed families in and in a way that they maybe have felt separated from their kids' education before. So I think that has been a nice silver lining. I also see this model, as, as I mentioned before, is, is less overwhelming than pure homeschooling. Um, as Patty mentioned, you there's a whole community. One of the mm. unexpected things out of being part of this school for me has been the group of fellow co-teachers that I have become friends with. The two of the women on this podcast right now are some of my best friends. And we, we've gone through this together, the highs and the lows. Um, we've also launched a daughter into college. And I think that the, you know, our, our school is still young and we probably have less than, what, less than 20 alumni out there, Marian. Um, and I think- Probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, they're having all these successes and in these different paths, you know, despite being such a different experience. And I think the more people encounter them and others who've succeeded in this model, it's just gonna yeah. build it more. The idea of parental involvement in education is not a new one, but I think yeah. we as a society kind of forgot it. And I think this is a wonderful sort of revival of that in a family connection way. Yeah. So a really strong education. And I think that's, you know, we're going to go to a break and we come back. I want to kind of roll our sleeves up and get super practical because one of the reasons, one of the impetuses behind doing this particular podcast was a listener who wrote and just said, you know, even in our five day a week schools, we're told from the beginning in loco parentis, you know, the, the school's here under the authority of the parent and then the school has expectations on what's happening in the world of the parent. And I think it's hard whether you're in a hybrid collaborative or you're in a five day what exactly does healthy home life look like? I think this is something that every parent's trying to figure out. I think in some ways you all have a much better situation because you've got more time. I read, it's been a few years ago, but I think the average American family, uh, I think that the statistic was like under one minute in meaningful conversation throughout the mm -hmm. day. And then, hey, don't forget your soccer bag as you're walking out the door. And so there's just a real challenge in our 
families in America today in terms of just quality time together. And then when you couple in, oh, and by the way, you've got to get educated while you're here at home. And either, and even if you're not in a collaborative or hybrid, you're in a five-day. And how do we do that better? So I really, you all have been doing this for years, just getting kind of practical around what does it look like to have smoother days in the home and, and make that partnership work well. We're going to talk about that right after the break. We'll be right back and jump into these next topics. He's worked with families for more than 30 years as a licensed professional counselor and marriage family therapist. It's time for a quick encouragement on the best practices of raising the next generation. We call it a McCurdy moment. So Keith, we've got a whole generation of kids a day that are growing up um, being told, at least by the experts, that they're maybe uh, they're, they should be on some kind of medication. It seems like sort of the go-to response. I think most of us know that we don't want our kids there, but there are probably some families that really are saying, gosh, my kid is pretty high strung. Is this a sign of, of maybe needing to uh, go look into maybe some medication? You know, that's a question I get all the time with parents coming in saying, we've got all these issues we're considering this, what should we do? And I say, say to parents, I say, you know, before we make a decision or recommendation uh, to consider very powerful psychiatric meds, we first have to get a baseline to really figure out what's going on with your child. And, and a baseline is this. I had one mom call it the rock your world uh, strategy <laughs> after I told her what it was. But for, for three months, change some things. For three months, respect three, kind of three categories. The first, how the body's made. Have your child have a set bedtime every night, including weekends, that gives them nine or 10 hours of sleep. Think of a grammar school age child. That's, those are the parents often coming in asking this question. So all of a sudden you're guaranteeing for the next three months, your child's gonna get nine or 10 hours of sleep every night. Second thing, make sure nutrition, make sure they're eating three meals a day at least. It's amazing how many grammar school children do not eat breakfast. And the third is make sure they have regular physical activity. The average child today has minimal physical activity in grammar school. If they're playing a sport when they're older, that's a little different. So that's the first category. The second category of baselining your child is stripping all technology out of their life. In the grammar school years, it's rare that technology is required for school. So they can't even look up the weather on your phone. Remove all screens, all television, all technology. If they're going to call grandma, they actually have to call her on a phone and talk to her. They cannot text her. This is a hard one. But it's amazing what it does in taking distraction out of the life. And then the third thing is put their life in a routine, especially, again, let's talk about grammar school. After school, you know, you come in, you can have a snack. Before you can do anything else, you got to get your homework done. And then when that's done, before you can do anything else, you got to contribute around here to the family in some meaningful way. But then you get freedom. In my experience, when we remove all of the tech, when we respect how the body's made, make sure they get sleep, and when we order their afternoon in a very simple way, at the end of the three months, the majority of folks who come to see me, the majority, the issues they came in with are gone. The ones who are left, every issue has softened. And if there's an issue that's valid, we see it more clearly. That's really great advice. You know, I, I couldn't help but think as you're talking, I'm sure there are probably many adults that are actually either having to get on some form of medication or try to just manage life that could probably benefit from those three things as well. Absolutely. So Absolutely. Love it. All right. I appreciate that. Thanks so much, Keith. Got a question for Keith to answer on a future McCurdy moment? Well, send it to us at info at basecamplive.com and learn more about Keith McCurdy on the speaking page on the Basecamp Live website. Well, welcome back to Basecamp Live. We are 
getting into some real practical aspects. Every one of us, whether we're in a five-day-a-week school or a hybrid school or a homeschool, we have to figure out how do we make life run smoother. And when our children either come home for the day or they it's their day to be at home, we have to create structure. And structure means balance. Um, I remember years ago, someone said, you know, if, if all the school administrators and teachers had to go through the same day that the students did, they would rethink everything. Because if you had to sit there in your desk and have a three-minute passing period between 50 minutes and only have your water bottle, after about three hours, you'd all be ready to go run around the parking lot and scream. And so how do we create balance? How do we find ways to make our home work smoothly so you can address all these different needs? So um, anyone uh, wants to start out? Miriam, you want to start out? Uh, sure. I, um, I think that's part of the beauty of the hybrid model is that you can walk into any of our homes on a Tuesday or uh, Thursday or Friday, and it looks completely different. So there's a lot of flexibility in what that looks like for each family. Um, but we, I think we're pretty clear from the get-go that this isn't just uh, an educational choice, but it's sort of like a cultural family choice that families who sort of commit to this lifestyle of learning and being in our home and uh, thinking about things differently of what it means to uh, thrive, <laughs> uh, that it doesn't necessarily mean more programs, more activities, more opportunities. Sometimes it means a lot less. And we actually say, if you're new to TCS, you know, you may think that you have more time because now you have days at home, but we take our education seriously. You, you don't, you don't necessarily have more time. You know, you should be spending the time that it takes to teach your kids at home and doing that well requires uh, a whole family effort yeah. so we actually recommend like the hey maybe for the first quarter the first semester like don't do soccer don't you know don't don't do the the extra things that eat up our time but really make room for uh i mean the yeah the the family conversations the the, the integration of education into your lifestyle yeah and all the extra okay. things that you know sort of pop up on a normal day at school that are happening in your home interests that your kid expresses yeah. or curiosity or questions you know the you can just as easily sort of truck through the material and be just as busy if you don't sort of change your mentality of what it means to uh, be, be different in this area yeah. as a family now i know in too many families then go sign up for the three club sports and it's way worse than it would have been if you just stayed in right. the five day yeah. right yeah so how do you structure so gambrel how do you structure a day i mean do, does the you do have you know a bell in the kitchen that goes off every 50 minutes and you move from the living room to the dining room like what does that look like well um my instinct is to lean more that way okay my, but i quickly learned that my kids are not me <laughs> They actually have their own different learning styles. And there was a great moment um, with my middle daughter. She was probably in first grade and her younger brother was in kindergarten. They were both in this hybrid model. So we were at home, we were doing the history lesson, which was an audio book, The Story of the World with Jim Weiss. And she listened to it and he was over there in the corner just playing with Legos. And I started to ask her the follow-up questions to it, we were sitting at the table in a very orderly way and she had no idea how to answer them. Meanwhile, he's over there calling out the answers. Like he <laughs> heard it and she didn't. And I realized, okay, he's auditory and she's visual in, a mo in the most obvious dark way. I'd never seen something that clear. So that was just a little example of learning styles. And so 
my kids really worked better if I kind of let them structure the day. And as they got old enough, probably third grade and up, I actually had a sign up sheet for like the 30 minute windows. And they said, you need to look at your lesson plan. I will help you when you're younger. Let's write down when you're doing what and when you need me. I can't teach all of you simultaneously. There are three of you. Yeah. And we're going to take turns. And it worked really well because it helped them learn how to manage their time a little bit and not so not not spend so much of it sort of negotiating what you're doing when. And yeah. it took a lot of the power struggle out of it too. Which so again, it, yeah, and as, as you're saying that, I'm thinking certainly the you have to be that structured. And, and I'm thinking if I'm a five-day parent, I get my child home at four o'clock in the afternoon and they're tired and I'm tired. And it tends to just be kind of, there's no structure. It's just like, I don't know, go get a snack and try to work it all out. And it sounds like maybe that kind of structure actually is freeing to everybody. Even yeah, if you're a little a, bit of structure. A little right. bit of structure. Right. You don't need to, yeah, bring the bells out and all that again. Okay. And if they want yeah. to do math first or, or science first or yeah. history, whatever. The order didn't matter. I let them drive that. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so Patty, how do you how do you handle, you know, when you get struggles and pushback from children, especially when they're in different, as Gamble's talking about, you know, kids are different, uniquely made. And so they don't always just march in the same pattern and step. How do you juggle those differences and maybe in resistance at times it comes? I try to find their currency for like, if they get something done, a task that they may not find as pleasant, uh, you know, sort of a, a reward system of if you do this, then you can do that. And um, I think one thing that's a common theme at our school is because we have so much space and margin, we have a lot of like Gambrel and, and Marianne both have like gifted musicians in their family, their kids, uh, a classically trained ballerina. Um, I have my kids love to draw and paint and play instruments and they develop these, um, they develop these um, beautiful kind of like incentives to, if I get my math done, I can go drum for an hour. And so we've sort of like naturally um, worked our way into that system of, you know, get this checklist done. I, actually, I don't have a checklist. I'm not that organized. People at our school I've heard have checklists, get this checklist done, and then you can go and do the thing that you love, whether it's riding your bike at the bayou or, um, you know, playing the piano or painting or drawing or doing ballet. So I think that, uh, Finding and, and I will say that we do have the gamut. I mean, we have 720 students at our school this year. Yeah. So we have families that, that we have the spectrum. We have families that are super organized and run a super tight ship. They have multi, you know, five or six kids. And then we have, you know, I'm on the other extreme of that, just almost families that are so laid back that we're like Keanu Reeves in the matrix, you know, like <laughs> completely backwards. But but there's this beautiful sort of, you know. I don't even know what to call it. I, I have to tell myself it's beautiful. Like there's just this beautiful kind of uh, latitude to our days that um, yeah. that also makes sense to some of us. And then we have people kind of in the middle that uh, have figured out a system that's, you know, it's kind of laid back and also pretty structured. One is, so. as the three of you are talking, I can't help but think I've often quoted what I have over the years heard from so many parents in five day that came in and said, you know, I picked a school for my child and got a community for my family. And it sounds like the the community aspect is so rich. And so, Patty, if you're having one of those days, um, or maybe you're ill, I mean, there could be just life happens. And so you have the ability to kind of, I don't know, do you <laughs> drop the kids off at the other 
uh, family's house down the street and go, hey, Matt's going to be down at the Joneses' house today. So, I mean, it seems like there's a real vibrancy to the community. For sure. There definitely is that. Yes. There's always a ton of people ready to just jump in and help. Right. Well, to me, that's, you know, back to the earlier question about why is collaborative growing? I think, you know, if you look, unfortunately, in our cultural moment, there's so much isolation, loneliness, disconnect. So even if you're in, uh, your kids are in, quote, in a school, it doesn't mean that you have that vibrant connection other than you wave at somebody in the carpool line. So what I'm hearing is, is a very real families on a shared journey, which is really rich. Yeah, and it's even, there are, you know, established study groups, kind of like a co-op arrangement, even when it's not like a, a sickness or some other right. issue comes up, they just meet on their home days, divvy up the grade levels, each co-teacher will take a different one and off, they right. just get it done. And the kids get to play and be with each other. And But, but again, the beauty is that the school is creating, I mean, a lot of the, I mean, drama performances or you know, senior trips or whatever it is, right? I mean, you've got sort of all the above that the typical five day has and you just plug in accordingly. So that's like, yeah, yeah. this is like, I'm trying to think of the equivalent. It's sort of like, I don't even want to give an example because it'll be silly, but it's, you know, it's like Papa John's pizza or something. Like you go pick the pizza, it's already all put together and you just take it and put it in the oven. And But it's fresh out of your oven. Look at that. Isn't that amazing? So, but you didn't have to go find all the green peppers and do it yourself. So it just seems like. It's a great example. I don't know. Y'all are going to be like, oh my gosh, what are we doing with this guy? So. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really good. What other encouragement do you have? Just again, thinking of just if you're maybe it's kind of the advice you give to that new family that's coming in saying, oh, my gosh, what have I signed up for? I mean, what are just some practical things you would say to them that, you know, where you're here's a couple best practices. You absolutely need to do these things. What else might you suggest? Anybody? I've got yeah, go ahead. That and this, I think, applies to just parents in general you have to leave your own academic baggage somewhere else. And if you like, you know, hated learning languages or couldn't stand science, you cannot bring that in. You can't even say it within earshot of your kids because it (laughs) undermines any efforts you might do to help teach them something. And, you know, we can, we feel it directly on our home days when we've you know we're trying to get our kids to love something that we might not personally love but we want them to love it for the sake of their own learning and development and following christ and his amazing creation so but we have to bury that ourselves but any parents i mean if you complain about something your kids are gonna you know follow in that yeah that's a big piece of advice for parents who come into this it feels hard you gotta complain to the other moms and (laughs) away from your kids because it will be hard it's hard no that's no that's a great point there's and i think again for wherever we are in the journey we bring our expectations of what school's supposed to look like what you know again if the first question you ask when they get in the car they come home is hey how what grade did you get well you've just conveyed that's the most important part of your education it's like wait a minute are we asking the right questions yeah great great point there one tip that i like to get I'm sorry. One tip that I like to give to just kind of as a word of encouragement, for one thing, this is the education. I think that a lot of us look back and think, you know, what an amazing opportunity to get a second education, as grateful as we are for whatever our education looked like when we were kids. And so I encourage people to find something in the curriculum that really like 
fills their cup. And so, for example, for me, it's reading out loud still with my 13, 15 and 17 year old. I love to read out loud. So every year I'll find something that I know maybe it's going to be a more challenging text. So last year it was Frankenstein with my seventh grader. And so that to me, like it felt fulfilling for, for both of us. It was a, it was a rhythm of knowing that we didn't always do it at the same time, but it was something that, that I loved and that it, it felt valuable to both of us. So like finding, just finding, maybe it's just going to be one thing if it's a hard year and it's a struggle, find the one thing that fills you up as a parent and as a teacher. And that's also valuable yeah. for your student. That's a really good point. You know, as you're saying that, Patty, I'm thinking about the, I mean, we're all humans. We all have our fears, our insecurities. And so either, you know, we are just talking, Gambrel, about you bringing kind of your educational expectations to the table. I mean, I could also hear people think of people who are listening to this thinking, well, this is probably great if you're kind of one of those teacher type parents that, you know, you probably want to be a teacher, but it didn't work out. So, or you were a teacher and now you're doing this at home. But, you know, I'm a I do this professional thing or or maybe it's I didn't I didn't do well in school. So the last person my kids need in teaching them is me. So, I mean, what do you say to people that aren't, quote, teacher types that are coming into this? I mean, I would assume of the 700 plus kids, there's all kinds of vocational backgrounds, educational backgrounds. So can you just sort of disarm that fear? What would you say? Marion, you want to speak to that? Because you were founding a school that probably went through a lot of this. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I think that that is a legitimate question for all of us. I think we all have our insecurities of like taking on our kids' education, right? I think the the, the practical side of, uh, of the answer to that question is that um, as a school, we've done a lot of work to prepare uh, our co-teachers uh, for the home days. So we use a curriculum that they are trained in ahead of time and that is conducive to homeschooling, right? And we have a pretty clear, you know, stair step into rhetoric school to where I'm not teaching calculus, <laughs> right? And it looks different to teach at a uh, first grader, second grader as it does a junior in high school, a senior in high school, right? So we have uh, invested a lot of time and resources in making that uh, that transition possible and also uh, what it looks like to be a co-teacher at home um, so in, in, in the easiest, for lack of a better term, it's not easy. And that, that, that would be, that would be the, the uh, tip that I would have to offer that sort of uh, pertains to this is that this is not the easier route, mm. right? I think we, we uh, love the, the benefits of it and it is a very joy-filled and rewarding experience, but it is tough. It is hard. You are faced with your kids every day, well, three times a week, right. <laughs> five times a week, five out of seven. Uh, and th there's a lot to that, that I think um, starting out, I knew that it was going to be hard, but then it took time for me to realize like the Lord is up to something in my own heart as well. Right. Yeah. I thought I was like, here I am, I'm coming in to homeschool my kids and I'm going to change their lives and do, you know, right by them. And then it's like, oh no, there, there are things that in my heart that the Lord is revealing through this process as well. And doing that as a family and yeah. getting my, you know, not me just witnessing my kids' education, but them witnessing my processes of growth and uh, challenge and all that has been, I think, valuable for our family. And um, again, speaking from sort of the, the end of the road uh, and looking into families that are, are just starting out possibly, um, 
I, th- there just hasn't been a time that I've thought, I wish I would have spent less time with my kids. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Now that it's... I have one in college, I am not regretting the highs and the lows. You know, I'm saying it was worth it. It was worth, you know, the time we spent together and the memories we have and all that. So, uh, and, you know, so yeah, that, that, that's also a perspective shift for me in this season of life. <laughs> no, that's helpful. The days are long, the years are short, they say. I think that's very true. Absolutely. So, yeah. so just before we get a break, um, again, I want to make sure we kind of cover the really basic. Somebody may be asking, okay, wait, I think I get this, but I want to make sure I get this. So to, in this vein of I'm considering this as a family, I know my own educational insecurities. So real specifically, what are you giving me in terms of training? So do I go to some, you know, how long is the, you know, August parent, training, onboarding, equipping, how often am I getting, is there a 1-800 number I call when I have no idea how to do this thing? Like, how does it work? <laughs> yeah, so uh, again, other hybrid schools do it differently uh, and have fun, found ways that works for their community. For us, we have a week of co-teacher training and you come to a specific day per school. So if you have a, a student in the primer school, you come to that day and then grammar school, you know, uh, logic school and rhetoric school. And uh, that day, all the co-teachers are present and our, the campus teachers are present and they walk you through the curriculum and the schedule and what it looks like to teach each of the curriculums that they're, you know, they will, uh, for the upper grades, um, share the syllabus, what's the expectation, what, what, how the classroom is going to be run. Um, it's pretty consistent. You know, we have different campuses, so we try to, you know, the, there's a lot of consistency throughout. So like what it, what it looks like to take a test in second grade is the same way that it looks like to take a test in fourth grade, right? Like right. we've done a lot of uh, just integration in that way so that it's uh, simpler. Um, and um, yeah, then I think the other really important aspect of this is the relationship between the campus teacher and the co-teacher at home. Like yeah. we uh, really, really encourage, you know, high levels of communication and collaboration. And uh, that's also, you know, been a, a super fruitful thing that you, you, you don't feel alone and you have someone who we're on the same team. It's not, it's not teacher versus parent ever, right. you know, you go a long way to the, we're on the same team for the sake of this kid's education. And that, that's a, that's a really neat uh, opportunity to partner with someone um, so do you have a little bit of a different perspective. Do you have families that say, I am all over the liberal arts thing, but it absolutely scares me to death to think about teaching math. So I'm going to pair up with a family down the street and we're going to kind of, I'm the math family and you're the liberal arts family. Do they do it like that sometimes? That frequently happens. Okay. Yes. Okay. So there's some flex. Yeah. I mean, there, there's some families that will also bring in an outside tutor. Um, sometimes the campus teachers will work as tutors on the okay. off day. Okay. And, and there's many different ways that this can work. I will say yeah. that I came, you know, I came into this with a kind of teacher hat because I had taught high school, but I found myself teaching pre-kindergarten, <laughs> <laughs> like high school, and teaching reading. I had never really, you know, what is exactly. That? I tell friends who say I can't do this, like, well, you did teach your child how to do many, many things before they even started school, and. You don't realize it, but we all, as parents, we're teaching continually, yeah. and so trying to channel that. And then the curriculum are all very scripted for the early years. There's so much help. There's so much training. There's so much support. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and kind of wrap it up with a you know a few more of these pro tips from those of you you know you've been. Uh, we should count up how many collective years you all have the three of you have been teaching and your experience. But there's a lot of wisdom here. Uh, on this podcast. And I'd love to hear a few more just best practices and especially as it applies only to 
those in the collaborative hybrid world, but also the five-day. And, you know, by the way, just uh, before we get a break, you know, this word, we say collaborative, we say, Neil and I have talked about this, um, Marion, a number of times. It's like, hey, wait a minute. And there's university, which I always thought was like, oh, uni- like your kids are really smart. They advanced to university really early. Like, that's amazing. It's like the uh, savant school thing. No, no, no. It's, so then I realized like it's a brand name for a hybrid school. So there's a university kind of trademarked, but it's functionally all again. It's a shared journey between home and school, whether you fly under whichever term, but I guess hybrid collaborative is probably more common in that way so but uh all all that to say we're all parents we're all trying to juggle the world of home and school and we're going to be back with some more pro tips right after this break well welcome back to base camp live we want to uh, just continue in this vein of unpacking all these amazing aspects of the hybrid collaborative model and we're just chatting there over the break that there is, uh, this is again, not, it looks, it maybe looks relaxing at home, hopefully, but there's a whole lot of structure and pre-thought to execute well. So you described it before these gathering meetings of parents at the beginning of the school year, just to get everybody kind of ready uh, and on the same page, but just walk me through a little bit, just the, the kind of the back end. Obviously you guys have some kind of a structure that holds it all together, a communication system. How does that work to distribute lesson plans and just keep everybody on the same page? Go ahead, Gamble, if you want to start. Sure. Um, the, the, basic, the basic way it works is that the campus teacher makes the plan for the lesson. And that's based, the lesson plans are all based on a blueprint that the school has established to say sort of the pacing of each course and when major assessments are. And so then each weekly lesson plan is based on the blueprint and the teacher creates that and puts the detail in to help on the home days as well as outlining what happens on the campus days and those are released each friday afternoon and at, at that point the, every the parents can log into the software so this website that we use to post these things so it's posted friday afternoon and parents can access it and as they get older students themselves access it directly and can print off the lesson plans as well as a little newsletter that the teachers put out. And then they have the whole week in their hand for what's coming and they know what materials they're going to need. They know, you know, what tests they may need to be preparing for. And it's all right there um, for them to, to have. And then as the work is completed and turned in to the campus teacher, the grades are entered into a software that we use and the report cards are generated and it's all it's all managed. It's very funny. We're a very technology heavy school in the back office, (laughs) the way we operate, but we hardly use any technology in the classroom. Our kids don't go around with laptops. They have real books in their hands. They're writing on paper. There's some typing of papers in the older grades, but very. And I think that's reassuring because again, the concern would be, okay, I'm, this is I'm going out on a limb here, and if you're just sending me some emails with some book ideas, but this is a, it's very, you know, there's a, you know, I guess like a franchise or restaurant, you, you, there's a, you know, the, the mothership is sending down the recipes for all these things to cook in the kitchen and all the protocols. And so and there's even proprietary software, as you're describing it, that you get mm-hmm. access to. So it's, um, sounds pretty bulletproof. It lesson plans too are a part of that. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Wonderful. Um, and one of the, one yeah, ahead, of the founding, one of the founding principles of the school was simplicity, and it it really does like it permeates the entire structure of the school. It it 
we make a lot of school-wide decisions based on kind of adhering to that concept of simplicity. And the families that built the school, uh, one of them in particular has just this, this brilliant mind for, he teaches our algorithms class and he, he was just able to sort of systematize some of these things to make to make the, the the lesson plans like accessible and not just in a like metaphorical way, but in a literal way. So we just have all these really, really um, elegant systems in place to make things um, go more smoothly uh, yeah. for the for the parents, for the co-teachers. And it's 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 really beautiful to behold, frankly. That is wonderful. Yeah. Well, um, actually, I'll just go ahead and inject this now. Normally, we do it at the end, but I want to ask you know if people are listening, going, okay, I'm this is amazing. Um, where, where's the best place to go? I mean, obviously your, your, your website, is that kind of the best landing spot just to get the vision? And are there some of these details we're describing? Is there like a separate page for folks who are willing, you know, wanting to step into the inquiry process? Well, yeah, for, I mean, Houston area people, it is our website and, uh, you know, part of the admissions process is attending an info meeting. And we do that very intentionally because there's a lot of things that you can't really communicate on a web page. And we want right. to be really clear about what the expectation is and what our school is and isn't. So one of the requirements for admission is to attend an info meeting, but even just um, an interest level, an info meeting is really the, the best right. place to get the full view of, of what it looks like to be part of our school. Yeah. Okay. And that's tcshouston.org. Yes. Okay, perfect. <laughs> All right, good. We'll put that in the show notes. Hey, Gabriel, I want to go back. You talked about grades for just a second there. And I, I think that's a really um, important topic because, again, we live in a culture that everything is seemingly stands or falls on the basis of what grade it gets. And I think that can be I, – I wonder how that works. I know we as parents in five-day-a-week often – feel ashamed if our child didn't do well, that we did something wrong. So I can only imagine if you are actually <laughs> part of the teaching team and the child didn't do well, is it your fault or is it, I mean, how do you straighten that out? That just seems like it could get quite challenging. Yeah. That, and that is a potential pitfall that I've found myself falling towards in the 13 years I've been doing this where, you know, you're sitting there beside your fourth grader and they just aren't doing the assignment the way it's supposed to be done and, and it's, it's, they're going to fail it. <laughs> and it. And you have to, from a grading standpoint, we have to remember that, you know, God demands dependence, not performance. And we try and do the best we can do and learn the information. And that sometimes the kids are going to have to learn what performance and what dependence means on their own. And so for the parent, for the co-teacher to be able to give them the instructions, support them as where possible, and let them get the grade they're going to get, that's very valuable right. for them to learn. Um, and also just logistically, most of the home day work ends up not being given a grade per se with like a number grade. Most of the home day work we consider completion and we leave it to the co-teacher to set the standard and decide if the work has been done to the best of their students' ability. And so and that, Most of the work students do at home, they get an automatic A, and then the assessments that they, if their co-teacher signs off on it, and then yeah. the assessments are on campus, and that's where the campus teacher does more of the active sort of feedback in terms of you know what is acceptable and not. So and I it's think a, it's, yeah, that's and that's such a healthy system because I think so often just if you're homeschooling alone, I'm sure homeschoolers might take issue with this, but you're 
you kind of set the standard. Um, you know, Patty, you were talking about like, who has been a busy day. We, you know, we've been outside for six hours. So, and I've certainly seen that in, as a school administrator with, with, you know, homeschool families applying and, oh, my child's, you know, five grade levels ahead. And I'm like, well, actually they can't read, but you know, I don't want to break that to the hard way. And to be able to have, you know, a mothership again, that's really setting a standard. And then when you get that degree and you're applying to a college, you can rest assured as the parent that, we were teaching to the to the right standard. I didn't over prepare or under prepare. I just think that's a beautiful thing. And and I guess you can play a little good cop, bad cop. Like, yeah, you got to see, but you know, you probably that's the school. But I'm going to help you with that. So it's to me, it seems like lots of unique advantages in there. Let's chat just for a second about again uh, the uniqueness of being a classical Christian hybrid school because there are definitely schools out there that are hybrid that are just you know, not classical Christian, what, what does classical and Christian bring to the table that you find so valuable? Anybody want to jump on that one? Um, I'll Marian, go jump ahead. In with just yeah, make some quick thoughts. I mean, sure. you know, the heart of our desire to have our kids at home is, you know, specifically the Christian aspect of their education, right. For them to know the Lord and his creation and to, uh, see this life and uh, as a life of the kingdom, you know, in the kingdom of Christ. And so uh, that's, you know, that, uh, that looks very different again in each family and how they sort of work that out. But um, I, I would say the ability to have more time in that spiritual formation and in the, uh, in the ways that our kids struggle and struggle well and uh, build that dependence on Christ, like Gambrel was talking about, you, you know, through grades, through all, all the things that, you know, the Lord put, puts on our plate, I think that's um, just a huge part of, of why th this model is, uh, is important to us. And um, as far as the classical, I think, you know, I, I would love to hear everybody else's uh, answer as well, because um, it, part of the, the beauty of classical education is the integration side of things, right? That you get to not just uh, learn science here, history here, and have it all be um, sort of not integrated, but we get to, to walk those bridges with our kids. And there's often uh, overlap between grades, right? And you get to point those things out and you get to say, uh, have conversations that um, sort of round out their worldview to the, where they're understanding that, you know, the ancient Egyptians were happening at the same time as biblical events, right? Or whatever the example is that you can uh, really dive into those things that make it uh, a rich conversation mm -hmm. between uh, the grades. And uh, I think the classical aspect of our school really, really provides that. Yeah, that's, that's well said. Um, Patty, what would you say? I think that uh, the, the choices that we make when we choose the books that we read, um, we just get to everything just becomes very Christ saturated. Actually, I just realized all three of us are actually teaching on campus this year. Um, <laughs> I'm teaching seventh grade humanities and Marianne is teaching pre-K and Gabriel is teaching seventh grade science. So we're very in, we, 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 we just are all in, um, in every aspect of like teaching our own kids at home and teaching on campus. But just in the books that we choose, like my ninth grader is just about to start and he's going to embark on the Iliad this week. And just the, um, the joy of being able to take a great classic work of literature that is not Christian, but having a, having a teacher who 
sees everything through this this lens of eternity is is just such a gift. I just finished mm. going through Pilgrim's Progress with my seventh graders. And of course, it's a it is a Christian allegory. Mm-hmm. But even just getting to have those conversations with them where everything points back to the kingdom and our eternal purpose, it just it just feels very purposeful and meaningful and um virtuous it, it feels like we're just shaping something really glorious mm. because of the books that we get to choose and the way that we present them feels like a gift and you had shared uh, you were talking before about the can, the ability to to learn as an entire you know 700 students are all learning the hem of the month and their scripture memory and sound offs and catechisms talk about that because i think that's again an, another those in five day would say, yeah, those are, those are really important to me, but you don't lose those when you're in a hybrid. In fact, that's a unifying element. Yeah. We start every campus day on, on we're spread across four campuses and every campus day begins with a morning assembly, which starts with our, our hymn for the quarter, which is always a, a classic hymn. It's all creatures of our God and King this quarter. And then we, we all are memorizing the same chunk of scripture. And then uh, the younger at the grammar school, they are memorizing catechism sound offs, but that is a school-wide um, practice. And then we encourage families to, on their home days, start with a, with a ad hoc morning assembly. And so we've, we've done this better some years than others where, you know, around the breakfast table, we're, we're practicing the scripture memory verse or trying to sing the hymn. That's always comical. Um, but it's, it's a beautiful unifying thing across the school. And we also attempt to have everyone um, studying the same scripture in Bible class across the campuses too. Everyone's in Exodus right now. So um those are just really beautiful, unifying things. You know, the practice of memorization is is a very classical idea, and um, it just yeah. solidifies the importance of that, and is unifying across all the grades. Wow, what a, that's that's such an encouraging element of, of classical. Yeah, Gambrel, go ahead. Just wanted to add, sort of tagging onto what Patty was saying about you know we're classical, so we have sort of the world of the classics and the great books and the great conversation and even within that we're applying our simplicity filter so we we're not reading all of the classics we're selecting a chosen few that we can then go really deeply into and we Mm. can overlay the theology and and christian views and the worldviews onto that and really allow the students to have an experience of knowing a piece of of work really well yeah. So we won't read as many books as other schools would, five days or hybrids probably, but we do them really deeply. We do, you know, our one of our mantras is passion and depth. Like we're going to go yeah. deep to build our passion that will want us to go deep more and, and build more passion and, and drive us through that pathway of, of simplicity. But it's all, you know, through this classical Christian lens. Yeah. No, I think that's that's probably welcome in the years of so many listening. I know that's, we've talked in the podcast before about, you know, rigor is often makes its way to the websites of classical Christian schools. And, um, and it can often come off like we can eat gravel better than your kids can, you know, and it's like, let's just not sure, you know, and I pr- or appreciate that we're studying the great books, but it doesn't mean we have to read every great book to your point. And can we read them in with depth? And I love that, that that's such a priority. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. Um, you know, I'm curious, Marianne, I'll ask you this question. I think about you, the commitment of the three of you alone, and I think times however many families there are. And I know you're kind of, a, we're talking about kind of being in that 
at the end of the journey, if you will, kids are going off to college. And what happens to uh, parents and, and hybrid collaborative schools when their kids have all gone? Like, I, I mean, this this has got to be a really challenging thing. I mean, do you start <laughs> yeah, looking for the neighbor kids and bringing them over? I mean, you've got so much to offer. Do you do you go back and teach? Do you mentor? What happens? Grandchildren. Grandchildren. Oh, yeah. okay. My kids have already signed me up for their grand, for, for their babies, but <laughs> I guess it'll have to be a, another podcast down the line when we figure it out. When you figure it out. Well, I just, I mean, in all seriousness, because I could see what a gift to a school to have just an entire army of trained and enthusiastic parents who can, I mean, I think about host families and buddies. If you, you know, a lot of five day a weeks do, or five, five, day, five day schools with new families coming in, but that usually fades out after a few months or a year. So mm-hmm. are there methods and mechanisms to kind of keep the alumni family in the larger community? Because I think you'd have so much to offer. Maybe that hasn't fully form- been formulated, but I just, uh, I'm just impressed. Go ahead. Yeah, it really hasn't. I mean, I think, you know, like Gambrel said, we've had three or four, okay. three four. graduating classes. Okay. You know, and those have so been is- pretty small. We have sort of like the classic bubble moving up through yep. the grades. Yep. And so uh, yeah. we've had some interesting conversations of what it looks like to involve alumni in the future. Yeah. I know we've, we, we do, you know, ultimate frisbee uh weekends with uh, the school and we've had some alumni show up to that you know just little things that can continue to stay connected you know with what they're doing at large but um yeah we're definitely young in that sense uh still figuring out what it looks like to have even a network of alumni yeah well i'm I'm just thinking no i'm just putting this out there i'm teaching a class right now uh for gordon college as part of our um the sel has partnered up with them and then there's a it's a leadership program for heads of schools, administrators, two-year program, big, big commitment. I'm doing the class on institutional advancement. We've talked a lot about alumni, which I think are just, you know, often too often graduate from this amazing experience and then they're off to their next life. And is there an opportunity? And I think, so your schools not only have alumni, you've got alumni parents who've been on the journey (laughs) too. So it's a unique, wow, what an opportunity. So anyway, we'll we'll do another podcast later. What do you do with all Because you guys are just, this armada of talented people that I know will want to stay in community with each other, but you know, the opportunity to serve the greater effort of classical Christian education, I think it's fantastic. So thank you three so much for being a part of this conversation. And uh, any, I'll give you just, just a final 30 seconds. What a word of encouragement to maybe a family listening to this going, Oh my gosh, you've rocked my boat. I don't know what I'm thinking about this. What would you say to that person on the fence about this whole thing? Marianne, you got any thoughts? Um, I mean, the first thing that came to mind was uh, a little bit cliche and that, you know, just to pray and ask the Lord if this is what he has for your family. I think that um, we've we've seen, you know, families choose this for lots of different reasons. And um, I think that to really take the time to examine in your heart what the reason is that you want to pursue this type of lifestyle i'm going to call it a lifestyle not an education (laughs) (laughs) because it is all encompassing and um just i think we're all tempted to want to protect our kids and do some things that are maybe a little bit of fear-based parenting that Mm. we think oh if we sort of keep them away from you know certain things then they'll they'll be protected and and that's that can be um a real struggle for Mm. for people who are trying to do this type of homeschooling and this type yeah. of hybrid mo- model. Um, so I would encourage uh, 
families to form a real conviction of what it looks like for your family to do education and, and what right. path the Lord would have you. And because we by no means are saying that this is the right way, right? Yeah. We're not, we're by no means saying, Hey, this is what everybody should be doing. You know, we think that, uh, different kids require different <laughs> types of education and, uh, the, the Lord is in all of them. Uh, but to do this, I think requires, um, a, a real clear conviction from the Lord mm. that you can rely on when things are hard and when you're yeah. tired or when you're thinking, what am I doing? You know, That's uh, a great being word. able to, uh, to have that. Yeah. As a family. I'm sure it's been a faith building experience for sure. <laughs> Gamba, what would you yeah. say to somebody on the fence? Um, I would simply say what I have frequently said to myself and friends have said is that you take it year by year. I mean, really, you you can go into it, to dip your toe in. I mean, you, you have to actually jump in all the way to really even see if it works. But, you know, try it. If you, if you feel like through prayer and you're knowing your own children and your family, um, if this feels like something that is intriguing, that's probably a nudge that it's mm. something that might actually work for you and that's what happened in our case i mean it was there was a pretty big nudge but here we are and i will say you know the younger two both actually left for one for one year one for three years because we were having some struggles it wasn't working at that point and so it was a year by year they left and uh, we're back now <laughs> they're they're in that rhetoric high school thriving yeah. and loving it and it just has confirmed for me that this is you know for our family it works yeah, that's that's a great word. That's a great word. Yeah. And um, yeah. All right, Patty, what do you think? Any words of well, encouragement? I'm, I'm going to harken back to what Marianne said earlier that we'll never reflect back on these years and regret having spent this time with our kids. And just a quick anecdote. I can't stop talking about it because I'm super excited. <laughs> My youngest daughter and I just started taking cello lessons together. And um, I'm practicing so much that I'm like sore from playing the cello. I woke up this morning with a sore shoulder and a sore hand. And I think that this lifestyle uh, really is conducive to just doing things like that, like just deciding and that, that my 13 year old is willing mm. to take music lessons with me is like just a beautiful confirmation of that that we're both valuing something beautiful and the hard work that's going to go into it. It just, it feels like a confirmation of all these years that we've spent so much time together and we still really, really like each other. You know, it's not always perfect. It's no, oh, it's never idyllic, but it right. just feels very valuable. It feels like a very valuable way to be spending my life, wow. our life as a family. Wow. Yes. You're I, I'm convinced if I, <laughs> I had to do it all over again. No, this is great. But, you know, so many of these schools weren't there. And so, um, yeah, we, we definitely would encourage uh, listeners to reach out. Uh, reach out to me, info at basecamplive.com. Glad to connect you to uh, these three amazing ladies. And, you know, you, some of you may be thinking, I don't have a school like this in my area. I'm sure Trinity would be glad to give you some words of encouragement if you're trying to launch. I know that's something Neil's doing a lot right now is just convening uh, those who are leadership and in, in the in the collaborative hybrid space to say, hey, let's do this together and let's share best practices. So whether you're an administrator or you're a prospective parent or you're a parent doing it, you're on the right journey. And again, thank you both, all three of you for all three of you for your time and your insights and your sacrifices. And yeah, we definitely need to do a part two at some point, see where this all ends up. So thank you. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much. 
Hey, don't go anywhere. The Climber Series interview is up next where you will hear amazing stories of hope and inspiration from fellow Basecamp Live listeners who are sharing the impact of classical Christian education on their life. If you have a story to share, please email us at info at basecamplive.com. Make sure to leave a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. Well, Tanner Johnsrud, welcome to Basecamp Live. It's good to have you on. No, thanks, Davies. So, uh, Tanner, you're at the Dominion Christian School right outside of the D.C. area, uh, Dean of Men and Christian Studies teacher, and you've been there for how long? Uh, this is my second year. Okay. Well, we were, you know, we're always, I'm always fascinated because you've been a Basecamp Live listener for, for some time. Tell me a little bit about uh, how long you've been listening to Basecamp and how'd you find out about it? Well, I had been uh, finishing up my Master's of Divinity and uh, at that time realized that God was calling me to classical Christian education. And so I asked uh, an administrator at Ambrose, um, what is the best, uh, what's the best podcast out there to listen to? And he recommended Basecamp. Well, I think that was Joe Gerber. I'll have to thank him. Yes. Um, Yes. Yes. And so, and so that began there, you began listening to, to Basecamp and then your story, and this is why you're on the Climbers segment here, is absolutely fascinating to me. I and mean, you, you had this uh, very uh, atypical journey into a classical Christian school, starting back to some early days uh, where you were involved in a, a Christian science cult, as you're going to describe it. But before we get to that, tell me a little bit about your family too. So where are you guys um, in your with your kids and your family? Yeah, so, uh, so my wife and I both work at, at Dominion. My wife is the executive assistant to the head of the school. And um, my boys are first grade and third grade, also here at Dominion. Yeah. So let, so back me up. Okay. So this is where you, this is sort of the end of the story. Back up to the beginning. Uh, how, where were you X number of years ago involved in this cult? Tell us that story. It's absolutely fascinating. Yeah. So um, I was a fifth generation cult member, uh, fifth generation Christian scientist. And when I graduated from college. I went full-time into Christian science ministry. I was one of uh, the youngest in the history of Christian science to do that um, and did that for 17 plus years. And um, I, uh, when I was in college, I heard the gospel message for the first time. um, And I also, at the same time, uh, grew more deeply invested in Christian science. Um, so completely radically sold out for Christian science. Um, I had grown up that way. We were passionate about, about, um, our, our beliefs. And, um, during, during college, I found that the cult leader in her writings occasionally had throwaway lines referencing great Christian writers in the past, Martin Luther, Augustine, Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, and so I took that as, if not endorsement, then perhaps permission to go and begin to read um, to read their writings. And and so over time, um, over the next fifteen years, um, reading more and more um, great Christian writing, and began listening to sermons online and. Um, and just reading from Christian websites online um, to make a, um, well, a long, (laughs) 
story uh, somewhat shorter. Um, I had been talking to people about Christian science everywhere from, from Alaska to Harvard University giving talks about, about Christian science. And, um, and Tanner, my maybe wife, just injecting, because for people yeah. that don't know, and this is, I guess, Mary Baker Eddy is the founder, is that right? As I remember. Yes. And so yes. this is basically most known probably to most people. I mean, there are Christian science reading rooms all over the country, and they are organizations that principally say, just pray, don't uh, subscribe to kind of modern medicine. I mean, is that is that a very short summary of kind of what? what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I had, I had never even dreamt of going to a doctor. Six months before we converted, my wife and I both said we'd rather die than ever go to a doctor taking wow. medicine. And um, it, yeah, Christian science, you name the heresy and we believe it. Um, so we were Gnostics, we were Arians, we, mm. you know, you name it, all of the ancient heresies and, and, and we believed it. We didn't believe that this material world existed. Um, wow. We thought matter was good or matter wasn't good. Uh, matter doesn't even exist. Um, so, um, yeah, so that was the entire world that I, that I grew up in. And as I was listening to uh, sermons online and reading more and more over time, God was changing my heart um, so that the talks that I was giving was no more about uh, Christian science being the fulfillment of biblical prophecy and Mary Baker Eddy <laughs> representing the second coming to, um, to sin and our need for a savior uh, and the redemption that, that's only found in Jesus and, uh, and giving those talks to, to Christian science and people either loved it or hated it. And um, I was in a quasi-ministerial role at one of the larger Christian science churches um, uh, for a number of years. Um, and uh, we would have people come and want to hear more of this gospel message and uh, Christian scientists who'd never heard uh, the gospel coming and staying till midnight, sometimes till three in the morning, uh, wanting to talk about the gospel. So was there a particular great book or classic writing that you, you, you named quite a few that was sort of the, was there a Damascus road moment where you were reading something like, Oh my gosh, I, now I get the gospel. What, what turned the corner? Um, well, well, I'll tell you about the Damascus road, uh, okay. but, but, um, so uh, th this was, uh, 2017 actually, uh, so it was coming up on the 500th anniversary of the, uh, reformation, right. Yeah. Of the reformation. And so I wrote a paper um, 150 page paper. Um, basically the thesis was that on, on the issues that divided Luther from Rome, Christian science culture stood with Rome over against, uh, Luther and the reformers. And, um, so that, that caused me to do a lot of deep reading in Luther and, and exploring, uh, Luther's history, uh, to a much greater depth. Um, so, um, kind of our Damascus, uh, road moment, um, we went to our Christian science church as normal. Everything was, was, was just a normal day. Um, for the last several years, I had been tossing and turning at night. I never told my wife any of my doubts about Christian science. Um, you know, surely I was wrong. You know, any, any questions that I, that I was having and, um, but I just prayed one night um, on the Saturday night, the Holy Spirit, you've got to do your work in us, whatever that may be. And so uh, the next day uh, we went to church as normal, but there was something that uh, Hillary, my wife heard 
uh, in the church service that morning and she came home and she said, I don't think this is it. Hmm. And I said, I don't think so either. And <laughs> wow. um, we were both in full-time ministry at that point. And we, we didn't know any Christians. Um, we didn't know any non-Christian scientists. So we knew that at that moment, our whole lives were blowing up. So um, I went out for a walk as beautiful fall day, peak fall foliage. And, uh, and just went for a walk and said, I, I could never atone for all of my sin. Um, it's only through the blood of Christ that I could ever be uh, right with you and um, some more to that. But um, I, I came back and I said, we've got to get to a real church tonight. So um, we, um, uh, we Googled for um, a, a, a Presbyterian church uh, with an evening service and um, we walked in, um, they had the wrong time on the website. It was an ordination service that night, uh, walked in and, and I'm crying and feeling like a re refugee, um, finally home. And, um, one of the elders, uh, there, um, sort of met me out there in, in the foyer and, um, uh, and he asked how, how I was doing and his parents had come out of Christian science. Um, wow. and, um, and then, yeah, told a little bit of my story. And so they went and they grabbed someone who was working down in the children's room, who was a woman who, um, is the director of the only, um, ministry in the world for former Christian scientists. <laughs> wow. Based out of, based out of that church, she and I had gone to high school 20 years earlier. She saw me and said, Tanner, what are you doing here? <laughs> uh, cause I was a well-known Christian scientist. And, uh, and I said, well, we left Christian science. And he said, as of when? And I said, well, this afternoon. Um, so they had actually, they had prayed for her ministry that morning um, as, as part of the pastoral prayer. And, um, and there was a guest preacher that night who, uh, which is Ligon Duncan, who's the chancellor of Reformed Theological Seminary, who I had been listening to him for years. And so he was the first one to pray for us as new, as new Christians. Um, Tanner, that is a remarkable story. And then, and so then from there, you get, it's everything in your world. I mean, you're, you're describing to me, you, you've lost all your friends, your career, your reputation. Like it is a complete life reset. And then you guys began to pursue, okay, God, what do you have for us next? I know part of that was your journey out to meet Joe at uh, Gerber on staff at Ambrose. And, and yeah. of, so where did classical Christian education then come into that journey? Yeah. So um, education was a big part of my life growing up. Uh, my mom was a teacher. Um, I had other relatives who were college professors and, um, and administrators. And uh, so education was always important. Um, when I uh, I've just left 17 years of, of ministry. And so my resume doesn't make sense. You know, I'm trying to figure out what's, what's going on next. Um, prior to conversion, um, a friend of mine um, launched a classical school. Um, she's a Christian scientist, but she launched a classical school. And um, I was helping her with the founding of that school. And she'd asked me to serve on the board of that school, but I realized that I turned her down because I knew I wanted, even though I wasn't a Christian at that point, I knew I wanted classical Christian education for my, for my children. So, um, so going through seminary, I uh, was considering pastoral ministry um, as well. And, um, but in every class that I sat in, I kept thinking, how would I teach this material? 
Mm. And um, because of our background, we took a road trip out to Utah and Idaho to see if um, perhaps um, being called to the pastorate in Mormon country mm. and, um, and ended up um, at All Saints Presbyterian on a, on a Sunday morning. Uh, there in in Boise, Idaho, um, that meets um, uh, on the on the campus of Ambrose, and the uh, the last person to leave there was uh, was Joe Gerber, who I had watched a previous service and knew there was an elder there who had some connection to uh, to Ambrose, and uh, we struck a, struck up a conversation. He invited me over for lunch took me on a tour of Ambrose and, um, and Hillary said, you know, I can really see you in the classroom. And um, yeah, it was a great, great tour. Um, wow. Love, uh, love what we were seeing. And then on the entire drive back from uh, Idaho to St. Louis, I was uh, started mapping out the curriculum for, uh, for teaching Bible classes to high school students. Um, you know, I definitely sort of caught the bug, caught the vision of, of classical Amazing. Christian education. Yeah, what an amazing story, Tanner. And just I certainly the uh, gosh, the number of moments in that story. And I know that was the the cliff notes of it, where the Holy Spirit is showing up and convening the right people in the right way at the right time to to put you on this journey, and now to have you in such a critical role there at Dominion. So I yeah, I, you are yeah, you and I were talking before the interview too. Just the interesting and important work you're doing around. Uh, discipleship and theology and training and not just the students and not just kind of the role of boys. And that's, again, we don't have time to get into all of this, but, you know, fathers and where do they fit into the life of the school? So I, I think it's amazing how God is using this, you know, very atypical background and journey to even help us as we move forward to think about ways to be even more excellent at uh, executing classical Christian education. So, um, but thank you. This has been an encouraging <laughs> reminder that God is faithful and we're all doing very important kingdom work. Um, any, any, any parting words of encouragement to fellow classical Christian educators? Uh, you know, I would just say that, um, you know, we're not going to know this side of glory, the impact that we're having on all of these, uh, on all these lives. But, um, you know, I, I uh, think back of conversations that I had with my third grade teacher who turned out to be one of the only believers that, uh, that had been around and, um, didn't know he was a believer until, almost 30 years later, um, uh, struck up a conversation with him and realized that he had been praying for me and, and pouring into me and, um, and yeah, his prayers were answered. Yeah. Well said. Well, I think, I think first couple, um, millennia of heaven are probably going to be just meeting people who are in these uh, critical in juncture points in our lives that we realized later on that well, God set that up too, all the way back in third grade, or whenever it may have been that we were uh, we were directed in, in, towards God through these people that um, He orchestrated. So, Tanner, thanks so much for your journey and your story, and look forward to continuing conversation with you. And thanks for being a Base Camp Live listener as well. Sounds great. Thanks so much, Davies. 